If anything, he's uh, just sort of sucked in by the idea, and who wouldn't be, of Zendaya, you know? Yeah. Uh, uh, because when I look at her with those blue eyes, I also want to go to Arrakis, you know? <laughs> now, my ass would die easily in Arrakis. I have, I have zero skills of survival on a desert planet, but I would go for Zendaya, okay? I would go for Zendaya and those blue eyes. Welcome back to the Silver Screen Happy Hour with the Wiegand Brothers. I'm Chris Wiegand, your host, along with my brother Jerome, a screenwriter and graduate of Columbia College, Chicago. Each episode, we like to compare and contrast two movies on a similar theme, usually something new and something older. We also like to pair tasty adult beverages to go along with those films. So, why don't you grab a drink and join us, or if you're driving, just be our designated driver. Before we jump in, I want to remind you that you can find us on all the social media platforms. If you want to send us a message, let us know you're listening, got a question or a suggestion for a future episode, we'd love to hear it. Uh, send us a voice memo through Instagram, and we'll see if we can get your voice memo on the next podcast. Well, with that being said, let me get the film reel going so we can jump into the conversation my brother and I had that we are calling Star Wars A New Dune. So, Jerome, do you want to uh, introduce today's show? Uh, absolutely. So, officially, episode two. We did two parts of episode one, which seemed like a long time ago, and it seems <laughs> like it lasted so long. I mean, we're, what's today, November uh, 3rd? Second or 3rd? We, Second. We, we said November 2nd. We had planned on doing episode two, A New Dune. In, like, July, I think, is was our original plan. But life gets in the way. Life gets in the way. And uh, not to disappoint our listeners, or listener, wherever you are, sir, um, we will uh, try to rattle off a bunch of these and, and get them out. Uh, we're hoping for 2023 to actually be one a month. Twelve episodes in Season 3. That's what we hope. I, I mean to say Episode 3. Season 3, we hope to be 12 episodes, one every month. So we're getting back into the swing of things. We're getting back on the horse. This is officially Episode 2, A New Dune, where we compare and contrast and talk about the script structures of both the 2021 Dune, uh, not to be confused with any of the books, or the 1986 adaptation, uh, directed by David Lynch. This one is the 2021 Dune, um, and it is directed by uh, Denis Villeneuve. Villain, Villain, I know I'm going to screw that up. Uh, Villeneuve, Denis. Um, and we're doing a New Hope in comparison. Now remember that this is just a New Hope. We spent the last two recordings that we did talking about everything star wars and i still think we could do a third episode honestly. we spent the last three and a half hours talking about star wars and that's just recording time for us it's been months like it's been months of reviewing and researching and watching tv shows and movies and everything um i feel like we've ingested just about every bit of sun uh, i almost said seinfeld star wars that you could get this is just going to be 1977's A New Hope. Now, we may mention other things, but really we're just comparing the 2021 Dune with the 1977 A New Hope. Uh, and before we jump in, let me, uh, let's me let start with what we're drinking. Another part yes. of our show, we pair drinks to go with our 
are uh, are the movies that we're talking about. I was go- let me talk about what I was going to do and what I end up ended up going with. Um, I my uh, daughter in law uh, sent me a link to different cocktails that I could make for this for this show, and I really liked this. Uh, I well, hold on, I didn't like. I didn't know if I would like it. Um, but it looked easy to make. I just had to get the ingredients. I couldn't find the ingredients, but the name of the cocktail is called the sparkling sand. And nice. yeah, it's like this. It's a, the, here's the thing though. The, when you hear the ingredients, I don't know if you'll say nice. It was, uh, one or two, I'd probably go two two healthy shots of scotch whiskey, uh, t- two like cherry liquor, liqueur, um, a half a shot of, uh, blood orange juice so that's what i mean you mix that kind of citrusy stuff with scotch and i don't know and then it's one, well, one small drop of almond extract sparkling water fresh sweet cherries and ice uh, it sounds uh, good i like I, it i probably I like it. you know so anyways so, may, maybe so, in a few in the future so what i what i did go with i found two beers one for each movie uh this i'm gonna start with this one i think it's a lighter beer it's an american pale ale um it's uh three floyds brewing corporation uh, it's called space station middle finger <laughs> nice oh we should build so, that ship here we go i'm gonna pop the cap All right. if i can i got my i got my uh millennium falcon bottle opener nice absolutely beautiful might be the greatest bottle opener i've ever, I've ever seen okay it didn't even oh Let's oh. hope there's fizz in there. I didn't hear oh, anything. Oh, I heard that. Did you? I heard that. Oh, there yeah. Go. Oh, God. Oh. Oh, yeah. <laughs> nice frothy head. <laughs> I think we get as excited about the drinks as we do about the movies that we're going to talk I've about. Been, I've been sitting here for half an hour waiting for your, this clown to show up. And now I can finally drink my beer. So I, I thank do you. run the clown act. All right, so my turn. So let's just, I'm going to preface this by saying um, uh, I have a whiskey, and it's a rye whiskey because rye, right, sort of like pulls that thought of farming wheat, right? So Luke is a farm boy, right? Okay, yeah. Uh, they're, they're harvesting uh, spice, on the planet of Arrakis in Dune. So that's kind of like a farming, right? It's more sure. or less mining. I guess it's, <laughs> I guess mining would be whatever. But anyway, so I went with Angels Envy. Angels representing like spirituality, religion, like the Jedi kind of thing. I right? think you're so reaching. I, think I am very reaching. much reaching. It's, it's, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm literally coming up with excuses to drink this whiskey. It is called Angel's Envy Finished Rye. It's a nice 50 or 60 bottle at your local uh, liquor store. But here I am going to... I like, uh, you, uh, I like the Angel's... Yeah, I did. I, I like the again, Angel's that... <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> Ooh. Hey, wait, wait. Here's my glass of ice. That? Oh yeah. Now, now we're going to we're going to introduce. Ooh, that's a that's a heavy pour. That well, uh, you know, <laughs> I started to pour thinking I wanted to get the sound, and before I knew it, the glass was full. <laughs> I mean, what can you do? It's it's in it's it's all for science, right? It's all for what we do here. It's for the so fans. You can't, you can't blame me. I drink for the fans. <laughs> So, All right, so tell me tell me what you think of it. I I like Angel's Envy the bourbon. I haven't tried the rye whiskey. 
All right, are you ready? Yeah. Oh, oh, that's smooth. Oh boy. Oh boy. Well, it's... you know what? A couple of glasses of these, and we'll, we'll be talking about the Care Bears movie. <laughs> <laughs> Let's hope you got some got some water to chase that down with. Well, I have a Bud Light to chase it down. That's as water as that's, I like to get. That's pretty close. <laughs> All right, so let's start uh, right off the bat with, um, well, let, let's do about just a, sort of an overview, a critical overview, overview. I know this is the part where you start, you where you mention trailers. If they haven't seen the movies, watch the trailers. Um, but let's talk, first, before we dig into script structure, let's talk about overall sort of like, the chicken and the egg. Who came before who? Who inspired who? Mm-hmm. You might you might think a 1986 David Lynch film and a 2021 Denis. Uh, I'll just call, call him Denis, like we're on a first name basis, so I don't butcher his last name for him. <laughs> uh, David's David's 1986 film and Denis's 2021 film. You might think we're in, uh, we're inspired by a 1977 space opera, but you'd be wrong. It's actually the other way around. Those right. of you who know the book that Dune was, uh, the book Dune came out in was it 65, 63. Something like that. I do not um, recall. I should have had that note in front of me. By author Frank Herbert. And he uh, actually was intending to write not so much a fantasy or a space fantasy, but a real like sort of overview depiction of how he felt society was heading mm-hmm. and and humankind, mankind, how, how we look at things. Uh, you know, actually, right there, what I just said. It's a little bit of a slip because we always call it mankind, but that's a little bit about what we're talking about, right? We we have evolved as people. We don't refer to things as as mankind anymore. It's humankind, right? Um, so that's a little bit of an example of how we evolve as people. And what Frank Herbert was going for was sort of like a political uh, a view of society uh, when he wrote Dune. Right. Um, Lucas uh, obviously was very much inspired by that and among other things of course we all know he's inspired by Buck Rogers and you know the the campy sort of space adventures of the late 60s uh, early 70s and that was always you know kind of the thing that he wanted to make he was obviously very inspired by uh, Kurosawa's uh, samurai films uh, which is where sort of lightsabers and Jedi come from um, and of course Catholicism you know, we all know that uh, the religious undertones of Star Wars and may the force be with you is a take on may the Lord be with you. Um, so, you know, obviously he was inspired by many things, but you cannot discount that Dune was one of them, if not a major Absolutely. factor. Absolutely. Um, and after researching for this podcast, I was, I was blown away at some of the resource, like some of the articles that I looked at. And uh, this is so this is not... Um, a new topic. <laughs> so a lot of people have written about this. A lot of people have talked about it. Um, but for me, like, like the novice, I, I wasn't, I didn't even see the original Dune. Um, I've been a fan of star Wars, but I'm not like a diehard. I didn't read all the books and all that stuff. I didn't know all the history of like, you know, all of Lucas's influences and stuff. Uh, so you're absolutely right. He, he had a lot of influences, but when you look at both of these movies, um, Star Wars is definitely influenced a lot by by Dune, it, and we'll talk about about this a bit, I'm sure. But um, I feel like Dune is 
is sort of more of a mature audience, a, a mature-er audience uh, compared to Star Wars's audience is uh, definitely geared towards a younger crowd, you know, from early on with the robots and the AI, you know, the, the, the Ewoks, you know, and that kind of stuff. It was definitely geared towards a younger crowd. Um, anyways, I, I took over, uh, continue, uh, with your, with your intro. No, no, actually I was, uh, I was was just going to mention that same thing about how, um, the, the, the biggest difference between the two. Yeah. Is that one of them is geared towards sort of a younger crowd. Um, Dune has a lot of almost disturbing undertones as far as our political backdrop. Mm -hmm. Um, very much so, um, both films depict an emperor though you don't see the emperor in dune um you see his army more or less but he's not a major character he's he's talked about a lot he's mentioned a lot at least Um, not yet and and and, well also ironically same as in a new hope we don't see the emperor in a new hope at all Mm -hmm. um, he's a major figure throughout all these films but in a new hope he is not in it at all um mentioned but not shown but uh the thing is is what Frank Herbert was going for was how quickly people will follow sort of a leader in any way, even if they're evil. People will follow a face of a person if that person is 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 interesting and charismatic enough to to make you believe that they're out for your best interests, mm-hmm. even when they're not. Um, the reading up I did, the research I did on, on this show today, I was almost scared to link the comparisons between our real political culture mm-hmm. and the cultures depicted in these films as empires. Yeah. Um, well, actually, uh, I, I kind of teased, and I think it was at the end of the last podcast we did, I, I, I teased the idea that is Star Wars anti-American? Right. Yeah. So, so get into that a little bit. What, so, what do you think? So it is. Well, here's the thing. I, I guess it depends on what your perspective of what it means to be American uh, is. Um, it, if you have this view of America, where you know, if you're only looking at the the 1700s America, um, we were the rebels in the 1700s. Um, you know, fighting the British, the evil empire in the, in, of the British. Uh, if you're looking at 1970s America or now, um, 1970s America or 60s America, we were fighting, we were the evil empire fighting the Viet Cong, right? And they were the rebels. Um, and uh, these are words, uh, from George Lucas himself. (laughs) So that was, before you start getting hate mail from Vietnam (laughs) veterans. Right. Right. Well, and I'm just, yeah. Um, there's that one interview, uh, you sent to me, uh, that Lucas it's on YouTube. I'll put it in the show notes where Lucas is being interviewed by, uh, Cameron, um, right. Uh, James Cameron, James, James Cameron. Yeah. And, uh, it's it's a it's a show Cameron did on sci-fi and stuff, and this little clip is on YouTube, and and he's asking him about that, and uh, it was a fascinating little clip because Lucas is like, well, absolutely, you know, he was influenced, you know, he he came out of the child of the '60s and um, started, you know, making films in the '70s, and he, uh, he he that's what he said. He's like, you know, he he was always fascinated by the underdog, so in the that's what he said in the in the clip in the in the 1700s. It was America was the underdog against the evil British, you know, tyranny. And, uh, and then fast forward to the 1970s, and that's what he was saying that uh, you know it was uh, it, it had flipped. And Cameron made the made the uh, observation that we we seem to not be able to learn our lessons from history. 
Um, so, and you know, and there's been many, if you just Google the idea, there's so many articles about like, and, and I believe I, I even read, I can't, I wish I, if I could find the, uh, the article, I'll put it in the show notes. There is, um, someone, I can't remember if he was a member of Al Qaeda, but it was a terrorist organization, what we would call a terrorist organization for sure. Um, but he was like, I don't, he was basically saying, I don't, I don't understand why Americans don't get it. He goes, it's yeah. in, it's in Star Wars. Yeah, it's, it's <laughs> he actually in, it's... references Star Wars. I'm like, oh my God. So, yeah. well, I mean, look at, look at, look at Andor and Rogue One. I mean, they're, mm-hmm. they're examples of pure terrorism. That's what they are yeah. basically, yeah, right? Like, um, but they're the good guys. The terrorists are the good guys in these, in these stories. And if you look at, um, now it, it's the, the biggest difference I think is that, uh, in, in A New Hope, the Empire is set up as evil. They're set up as bad. They're the bad guys. They make it pretty clear from the get-go. And the opening shot is a very large ship trying to destroy a very tiny ship. Right. So it, it's, it senses right off the bat, these are the bad guys and we need to fear them. Dune uh, kind of throws a little curveball at you. You don't really find out that the Empire are bad until about halfway through. Mm-hmm. In fact, you know, when we get into our script structure, you know how much I love to talk about the midpoint scene. Um, uh, you'll be interested to know Dune's midpoint scene uh, when we get there. So, um, but you don't know right away. In fact, the movie opens with the Empire, uh, what they call the Imperium, um, is actually seems like they're good, right? Because the, the movie opens with this uh, sort of narrated uh, setup mm-hmm. of... We live on this planet. Our spice is what everybody wants. The Harkonnens have been here for 80 years, and they've been torturing our people and stealing our spice. And then one day, the Empire pulled them out. And so it kind of sets up like, oh, the Empire kind of came to their senses and said, this is bad. We need to remove the bad people. We don't find out until about halfway through that they are evil, and they pull them out just to start a war. Right. Um, So... Um, so that's, I think the big difference between the two, as far as who are the bad guys, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, that's the biggest difference. You are told in a new hope who the bad guys are right up front. In fact, who can forget the first image of Darth Vader in a new hope? The walls are white. The stormtroopers are white. The smoke is white, right? <laughs> the doors pop open and out comes Darth Vader dressed all in black. Uh, I mean, yeah. what a great way to shoot the end, the, the, the begin, the very first time, now, of course, with all the other movies and TV shows put in, you know it's not the first appearance of Darth Vader, but it is for American audiences, right? Right, right. right. That was the first image of that right there yeah. is the bad guy, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, Dune, of course, plays on that a little bit. You start to think about who really is the bad guy, and it makes you start to wonder. Even in the first half of the film, and even in the first act, before they even get to Arrakis, even the, the hero, Paul... Paul Atreides mm-hmm. says to his father, aren't we the oppressors? Like, he even says that to <laughs> right, him. Like, right. aren't we the bad guys if we're just going there doing the same thing the Arkanans did? And his dad has to quick to stop and say, no, 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 er, let's pump the brakes, back that up a little bit. Yeah, We're not doing exactly what they were doing, you know? We're there to liberate. Isn't that scary? We're there to be heroes to the people that live there. You right, know, it's right. almost like, he's like, no, 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 we're going to empower them and ourselves. It's So you kind of get this really kind of weird feeling when you watch Dune, like, 
man, I don't even know if I want to be on these guys' side. I don't know what's going <laughs> on here. They seem just as sketchy as the yeah. Harkonnens, you know? I remember um, early on, and I, I, if I again, if I find the article, I'll uh, I'll put it in the show notes. But uh, someone wrote an article about um, this when they watched the movie, they were struck by what they were calling racism, because the people, the sand, the people that lived in the dunes, or in you know, in, in on the what's the name of the planet, Arrakis, Arrakis, um, they're all what we would call ethnic minorities. They're either black or, or Arab, um, yeah. you know, people living, living in Arrakis and being oppressed. And that's on purpose, obviously. So, and, and I, I'm reserving judgment because I don't know the whole story. I didn't read the book and I didn't see the original movie. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm leaning towards, Oh, these are, these are the underdogs and these are going to be the heroes. Right. Of, right. Uh, of the story. So um, I, I'm actually really excited for if the if the next movie comes out next year, I can't wait till next year because um, I think it is after having it... watched it twice now, getting ready for this podcast. Um, <laughs> I loved it more the second time, actually, I because I was like trying to understand what was going on at first when the first time I watched it. And now that I saw it once and I was able to actually process a lot more of the of the of the story. And I think. I don't know if we're there yet, but I think um, the way they're making this in two parts, I know it was heavily criticized by fans of Dune, um, by critics, um, because the the movie ends when the story is just getting started, really. But that's what that's what I loved about it, is yeah. that they follow, at, 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 I guess this is a good segue to go right into script structure, Yeah. but I remember thinking as I was watching it, like, man, I wonder if I'm going to be able to do... My my uh, my my spiel on script structure with the three acts and the turning right. points and the tangible and spiritual goals because this isn't finished, you know. I almost have to watch the second film, but it doesn't matter. Even just if you take this movie by itself and just say there isn't going to be another movie, this is just all there is. You can still find the major points of great writing, and that's what I love about this show that we do, and that's what I love about watching these movies is pinpointing. Write exactly something's supposed to happen, and you expect it. If you know writing, like you know the back of your hand, you can see it coming before yeah. it happens. Um, again, for those of you who haven't uh, listened to our shows or know about our shows, um, I, I will often talk about examples of this great writing, right? This spiritual and tangible goals. And I often reference the ending of Midsummer. Like I knew Midsummer's credits were going to roll before they did. Because when it happens at the end, and those of you who've seen it know what I'm talking about, when you see that image, you're like, that's it. If it goes to black right here, it's perfect. And it goes to black. And you see the credits and you're like, oh, thank God they didn't ruin it by keep going. Like, you got to know when to end it uh, because it's perfect. But anyway, um, and yes, I said that out loud on recorded media. Midsummer is perfect. Okay. Now, um, before we actually get jump into script structure, let's play around again with some of these comparisons. Um, yeah. The chosen one. The chosen one. Who is yeah. the chosen one in both films? Ironically, you would say, well, that's an easy one. Right, it's Paul Atreides in Dune and yeah. Luke Skywalker and and but A you'd New be, Hope. But you'd be wrong, really. If you look at what makes Paul Atreides the chosen one, 
you'd really be more leaning towards Anakin. Yes. Luke's father. Exactly. As as the counterpart, which, you know, we don't know any of that until you see, you know, uh, Phantom Menace, which, again, we're not going to talk about other movies. Let's not go down <laughs> that rabbit hole. But, uh, but really, when they talk about The Chosen One, Luke, I guess, plays that part. But if you really look at Paul Atreides, he almost seems to me anyway that he's unsure of following in his father's footsteps. His father tells him, you are to be, you know, you're the heir. You're the heir to the throne, my throne. You know, you're going to carry on the name and do what I do and Mm -hmm. wear this cool ring and you're going to be me. (laughs) And once I'm gone, you're the new Duke. And that's, and he's like, eh, well, I don't know if I want to do that. You know, maybe I'll want to go bowling instead. You know, like he obviously he doesn't feel like he wants to carry this burden. Luke, on the other hand, is completely different. Like he's like, yeah, be like my dad. Absolutely. Sign me up. I want to be just like my dad until he finds out. <laughs> Man, my right. dad's kind of an asshole, you know. <laughs> so but they are still sort of these chosen ones. Right. And, and what what Star Wars would call the chosen one or the prophecy uh, in Dune. Uh, I'm going to screw this up because I believe it's a Hebrew word or Hebrew name, and they say it with an accent, but I said I'm going to screw it up. Uh, qu- qu- uh, big fans of the book will know what I'm talking about. Kwisach Hadrach, or Kwisach Hadrach, I think is what it is. That's the the uh, what they mention in the film as sort of like the chosen one, right? The prophecy. Yeah. Yeah. The the idea of the... Uh, uh, Man, I'm screwing this up now. Bene Grissa, the basically the force for the women in Dune. Mm-hmm. <laughs> They're all supposed to have daughters, the, right? And They're they also, call and they well in Dune they call it the voice. The voice, yeah. The, yeah. the voice is the force, but yeah. but uh, um, but what they do is. They're only supposed to be bearing women. It's a sisterhood. Right. But they but there's a prophecy that one day a man will come right. and be able to do everything the men can do and everything the women can do as far as seeing the future, uh controlling other people's actions. Right. Uh, you know, all this stuff. And and Polytreides is supposed to be that guy, right? He is the chosen one. Um, you know, and of course, just like Anakin in the Star Wars movies, his presence scares the crap out of everybody. Yeah. Right? Um yeah. Yeah. because the you know, when you write when you write a prophecy, just as I imagine it might have been uh at the turn of the New Testament into or the old uh, the Old Testament into the New Testament of the Bible, where everybody would have been like, Man, we've been talking about this you know, person to come along and now he's here, <laughs> you know, it's almost terrifying. Does that mean it's the end of days or is it the end of our days? You know? So, um, obviously even the good, even the Jedi, uh, were very much opposed to accepting the fact that Anakin was the chosen one, the sisterhood in Dune very much opposed to Paul Atreides being the chosen one. Right, they didn't right. want, you know, they were afraid of that. He was that, so I thought interesting combination of those two right there. Um, there's a there's obvious comparisons. I mean, desert planets. Um, there's creatures that are like easy. sand sand yeah. creatures yeah. that are that inhabit those 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 planets. Those are easy. Um, so I'm gonna I'm gonna put this. Um, I'm going to put this link in our show notes. Uh, it's the title of the, the article is called a detailed comparison of Dune and star Wars. I found it helpful, even though there's uh, some errors in, uh, in his writing. Um, he, he mentions the biblical nature of both the names of Luke and Paul, uh, which I thought, you know, yeah, it's kind of interesting. Uh, but in, in the Bible, he said, uh, you know, 
Luke accompanied Paul on his journeys, and that's true. Um, the dates he got wrong, which is no big deal for what we're talking about here, but I thought that was interesting. That yeah, is they, that is that the same article where he mentions that Luke is the chosen one? If so, that's where my disagreement was when I was reading that article. Was that's a plot point error that Luke is yeah. not the chosen one? Anakin is the chosen one. Let me see. I don't remember if that if he mentions that in this one because he was comparing Luke to Paul. And, you know, a treatise to Skywalker and mentioning that they were both chosen ones. And I remember stopping in my reading right there going, ah, no, no, he's not. He's the son of the chosen one, which is different. But anyway, maybe that was maybe it's a different article. I'll have to look it up. So, how like, could, apparently right, in the next movie, could, we're going to find out. You, how could you read that on a recording? You just spoiled the second movie. <laughs> All right, we're going to have to cut all that out. I could cut it out. If you don't want me to spoil it, I'll cut it. You can't can't talk about – at least say spoiler alert, you asshole. You can't just say (laughs) shit like that. Forget it. Let's act like I didn't say it. I'll cut it. All right. All right. I got to read this in my head before I say it out loud, damn it. So let me me just say this. Uh, This article does have spoilers. So I'll I'll, (laughs) I'll definitely say that in the show notes. Um, So read it with caution. Um, so yes, well, then again, um, anyone who's read the books, the Dune books would know this anyway. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's and, for your casual movie goer like me. I've never read the Dune books. So when I see Dune, the movie, and I cannot wait to see the second one, the second part, yeah. uh, um, I don't know any of this, so I don't want to know. So don't yeah. tell me. And there was also some spoilers that I'm not going to reference, um, about the villains in both stories, um, in star Wars and in Dune that, Actually, we didn't know from watching the movie. So, you know, um, some of the vehicles that they used were, were similar uh, and some of the technology was similar. Uh, there's a thing floating, you know, floating down the hallway and like in Star Wars, many of the vehicles just kind of float um, and float through and things float through the air. That's that. That was a similar observation. Something that I noticed um and I think it might say that in this article too, uh, that was not the same. <clears throat> One of the things I noticed that was not the same is that in Dune, um, there was like zero AI robots and stuff like that. In uh, Star Wars, there was tons of that. Tons of you mean like droids, droids. Droids. Yeah. AI, that kind of stuff. Um, yeah. So I thought that was interesting. And it, I'll, I'll, I think, it, and that goes to sp- speak to, um, you know, like what we were talking about, about Star Wars being geared towards a younger audience and the droids and the Ewoks and that kind of stuff were like very kid friendly, right? Right. But um, you don't see that in Dune. So I thought that was yeah. interesting. Um, uh, on that note, though, I would say that there was a lot of AI, just not in the form that we are normal to seeing. Yeah, it was. It wasn't in the form of like robots, right. but like when he's in his room, when Paul's in his room, and he's learning about the Freeman and and Arrakis as a planet. That's a that's an AI voice talking to him. It's teaching him, True. right? Yeah. It's kind of like how you and I might use Google. Right. right. Only only this is an uh, an AI thing and it's doing visuals like hologram visuals in right. his room. You know, so obviously the technology is far advanced. But yeah, to, to that point, there wasn't really robots or droids that they used as housekeepers. They still use real people as housekeepers. You know, they didn't have a droid walking around cleaning everything up. So um, so that yeah, that's kind of cool that they didn't. But again, you could argue 
they wanted to keep it close to source material and a book written in 1963, 64, 65, whenever it was, might not have been trying to predict how we use robots in the future. Mm. Just that the things that we already do would be done a lot easier. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like back in the 60s, you might just go to the library and pull out the encyclopedia and look something up. Now you can just program it into something and it'll hologram will come up and start teaching it to you. Yeah. So I think you ask um, Alexa and she'll just tell you. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Alexa is our AI, right? Yeah. So that's how it starts. <laughs> Skynet is coming. All right. So uh, script structure. Yeah. All right. So if you have heard these shows before, you know that we like to go through and talk about a, a, a nicely woven script and where the points hit and why and and what takes you from Act 1 to Act 2 to Act 3 to really try to drive the point home. We talk about two major points, the midpoint scene and what's called as the all is lost scene. We already know the transitional point from Act 1 to Act 2. That's almost too easy, right? How do you go from Act 1 to Act 2? Well, what is Act 1? Act 1 is what we already know of as normal life, right? Luke on the farm, Mm -hmm. right? Paul on his planet of uh, Kaladin, you know, he's already having these weird dreams about, you know, very hot. Uh, a Freeman chick with blue eyes, right? He's already got he's already got these images, but but he's still on his home planet of Kaladin. It's kind of like uh, uh, at work, at play, you know, at, at rest, kind of thing. Like show them what they do on a on a daily basis, right? Them mm-hmm. at home, mm-hmm. and then of course Act Two. When you first get to Act Two, the whatever turning point leads them to Act 2. Of course, in Dune, it's the Empire calling upon House Atreides to now take over Arrakis, right? Right, right. They're now going to go to a new planet. And of course, in Star Wars, it's, you know, these droids kind of just crashing into Luke's life. And because of it, gets his Uncle Owen and Aunt Beru murdered. And now he's got nothing. And he's forced to join Obi-Wan on this mission. And that's the jump to Act 2, where he's now in a, they call it like stranger in a strange world. You're now in a place you weren't before, Mm -hmm. and you have to sort of adapt, right? So that's why that's always the easy one. Of any movie you ever watch, it's always easy to pinpoint when you go from Act 1 to Act 2, because it's where, what is normalcy for these people? Right, right, right. And then immediately, what is the exact opposite of normalcy? That's where they jump into. That's the problem they're sort of in. That's your jump to act two. We always talk about the midpoint scene. I always call it the false victory, right? Yeah. Because yeah. you seem to achieve something that you wanted, right? Your tangible goal. Whatever it is you wanted, you got by the end of the first part of the movie. Midpoint scene, you got what you wanted. Um, but of course the second half of the movie, everything goes to shit and everything goes bad, uh, culminating in the all is lost where you feel like the ultimate bad has happened, mm-hmm. not realizing that it will propel you into the third act, which is finishing the story where you win in the end or everything is, is hunky dory. Um, I've often said that sometimes the midpoint scene isn't exactly a win or a loss. It's definitely a change in direction. Right. Of where the, the for the for the main characters. Uh, I don't know if we I think we talked about this in our previous podcast um, when I was talking about how fun the midpoint scene is to detect in any movie. Right. And where it actually comes. You would be sickened to know that it falls right in the middle. Um, uh, I mentioned uh, it, I, I'm not sure if I mentioned seven on our previous podcast. Did we talk about seven? 
the midpoint scene in seven. So I remember if you, if you mentioned that. I mean, we've talked about it many times on our if you own. Wa- if you watch the movie Seven, um, let's just say it's – I can't remember what it was because I was looking at the ticker at the bottom of the screen. So let's just say it was two hours and ten minutes, whatever it is. Exactly one hour and five minutes in. And I mean exactly to the second. Halfway through the movie Seven, Brad Pitt says the line, the guy's a nutbag. Just because he has a library card doesn't make him Yoda. And right then, Morgan Freeman turns around and is like, that's it. And they figure out how they're going to catch him by, by you know, getting the library records. Mm-hmm. And that's what leads them to Kevin Spacey's character. And that's what, you know what I mean? So it's like right smack dab in the movie in the middle, they figure out a way to get the guy. Yeah. And it's like exactly to the minute. So in Dune, what happens right at that minute is not so much a, a victory or a false victory for House Atreides. It's almost like letting the audience know something. At the exact midpoint scene of Dune is where the Harkoners go to the, the Harkons go to the army planet to recruit the army of the Empire. Right. To go invade Arrakis. So it's at that point. Now you already know that the Empire is sketchy because somewhere in the first act, that sisterhood. That comes to do the test on Paul. Yeah, yeah. That, she's a dark, like, scary woman. <laughs> yeah, she she ends up going to the Harkonnens right off the bat yeah, and yeah. saying, do your thing, just don't hurt the girl, just don't hurt the boy and his mother. Right. So you already know some shit's about to go down. But at the midpoint scene of Dune is where uh, Paul tells his mother he knows she's pregnant. And she's like, how the hell would you know that? I just barely know that. And I'm only two weeks along, whatever. So he's seeing the future. Yes. And then the very next scene at the midpoint scenes, about an hour and 13 minutes into a two hour, 26 minute movie, the Harkonnens go to the the army planet to Mm -hmm. recruit the army for invasion. So that's where sort of the flip is switched, right? Or the switch is flipped, I guess. Yes. Go the other way, right? (laughs) It's, you know, this angel's envy. It's, I'm already almost empty with the first glass. So uh, I'm going to occasionally slur words from here on out. Uh, the, the switch is flipped at that point. To where you now, you're done with Act 1, right? The whole, uh, not, sorry, not Act 1. You're done with the first half of the movie. You know, the Empire's uh, decree that the House of Treaties is now going to take over Arrakis. Um, it's all in good faith. They're there to liberate the people and everybody's going to be friends and blah, 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 blah. You know that that's bullshit now, right? right? That's now the flip to the second half of the movie where you know now everything's going to go to shit. They're going to be invaded. Right, Bad right. things are going to happen. Good people are going to die. Um, which, ironically, who, before, let's just stop right there. Who is the mentor character in each film? Who's okay. the mentor character in Dune? Uh, Jason Momoa. Mm, okay. I mean, because... I but, I, but I does like he him. learn? But but does he learn anything from? I mean, he he's already learned from Duncan Idaho. That's Jason Momoa's character. Yeah, I feel like when the movie starts, he's done learning anything from Duncan Idaho. I think he's already learned okay. how to be a fighter. But from the start of the movie, who's kind of the person he goes to with questions? Uh, his dad, right? Yes, I would say yeah, his his yeah. his dad is sort of his mentor. Easy one for A New Hope. Who's the mentor character in A New Hope? Obi-Wan. Obi-Wan. The great Obi-Wan. We know that, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Now, uh, spoiler alert. When both characters die, and they do, (laughs) how do they die? In battle. Not only in battle, 
thumbing their nose at the bad guy. Yeah. And yeah. saying, when you take me down, I'm taking you with me. Yeah. Or at least, at least, I will become more powerful. Right? Well, and you, and you both, think you're... Uh, yeah. True. No, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, say, just, just say, you think you're taking me out. Yeah. You think you're winning by killing me. You think I'm out of the picture forever. What you don't know, what you don't realize, is that even though my physical body is gone, right. I will ensure, uh, either through memory or even in this final act that I have, to sort of even the scale. Now, it's a little bit more literal in Dune, yeah. right? Because he literally tries to kill the bad guy as he's dying. Right. Uh, Obi-Wan doesn't try to kill Vader, but he lets him know right off the bat, just because you think you're getting rid of me, you're not getting rid of me. I'm going to be even stronger now yep. of an influence on the young one's life. You know, I think both of them have that point where they look their killer in the eye and smile. Yeah. Yeah. Both of them do. I would argue, though. So in a very similar scene, the reason I said Jason Momoa, uh, what's his name? Idaho. Uh, uh, Duncan Idaho. Duncan. Where'd they get that name? <laughs> Duncan Idaho. <laughs> Anyways, but but the reason I mentioned him, um, so in a similar way, uh, he, he spoiler alert, he, he, he kind of goes out looking back at uh, Atreides, or at, uh, is it Atreides? Is it Paul? Paul. Yeah, look, looking back at it, Paul and, and basically like, I'm going to do this so that you have time to get out of here, basically. And that's kind of what Dobie Wan did, too. He's like, self -sacrifice. He, he's, he saw Luke. He's like, all right, I'm going to fight to the death here and give Luke a shot, you know? So, yes. Uh, I, and I can, I can accept that. Let's take a pause right here. I'm going to crack open my next beer. Okay. So I'm not sure. I, I actually have a gut feeling I'm not going to like this one. Um, I've had beer that has been aged in wine barrels before. Wasn't a fan, but I, I went ahead and got this. This is in uh, sort of a uh, a hat tip to uh, Star Wars, the dark side this time. Um, it's from Odd Side Ales. I love Odd Side. They do make a lot of good beers up in, uh, in Michigan. Uh, Vino of Darkness is the name of it. Vino of Darkness. <laughs> it's an imperial stout. Of course it is. An imperial stout <laughs> aged in red wine barrels. So let's see. I don't know. I, well, I'm Sounds... nervous about this one. I'm going to have to do a little, little, put a little bit in my glass to get the other pale ale out of my, uh, this, sorry, Millennium Falcon. This kind of, I like my other, other ones better. This isn't cracking. Well, let, let me quote Luke Skywalker from A New Hope when he sees the Millennium Falcon for the first time. What a piece of junk. <laughs> right. <laughs> Okay, let me let me pour just a little bit to swirl this around, get the pale ale out of my glass. I like how we use beer to clean beer yeah. out of a glass. It works. Um, okay, here we go on the pour. I'm going to have to go a heavy pour on this one. Oh, boy. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's real. That's real. Oh, Those man, are real. man, that is a beautiful. Those are real. That's, that looks like chocolate milk, dude. Oh, my God. Holy um, shit. Look, I love that, Imperial Stouts. It looks like a Guinness. It's look way it. heavier than Guinness is actually a light beer. I don't know if you that, knew that. What you have in front of you right now looks like a steak dinner. <laughs> it's gonna fill me up. <laughs> so 
Guinness is light in regards of alcohol. It doesn't have a lot of alcohol. This has like 11%. So this is like drinking wine. It, it actually, I'm actually, hold on. You've actually lost your train of thought on where we were on this discussion. This is actually good. And you know what? It's outside ales. That's why it's good. Well done, outside. This, well done, I'm gonna, outside. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to enjoy this. And hats off also to uh, Three Floyds Brewing. I really enjoyed that American Pale Ale. Well, if we're doing shout-outs, let me do my shout-out to the uh, makers of Angel's Envy, which is uh, from the sellers of Lincoln. What the hell? (laughs) Well, it's written in, like, cursive, and I haven't read cursive since I was in the fifth grade. Lincoln Heckelson? Heckelson? All right. Thank you very much, makers of Angel's Envy. Yeah, we would appreciate um, uh, free beer and whiskey. Uh, yeah. If anyone yeah, wants it, to send us any, you know, absolutely. we'll give you a shout out. Uh, definitely. <laughs> I will shout out anyone that gives me free alcohol. So um, I don't know where we left off. We left off. Oh, so the right. So the mentor character, yeah. you would be uh, you wouldn't be wrong. You wouldn't be wrong to say Duncan because he does sort of seem like more of like a protector yeah. Than uh, sort of a mentor, right. you know what I mean? Uh, mentor, I think, of somebody that you want them to follow in their shoes, and and certainly the father figure, uh, the Duke, uh, uh, you know, Leto Atreides, the father, mm-hmm. seems like he he's more of a mentor as far as as far as you're going to follow in my footsteps, kind of thing. Right. Um, but you're you're right. The way Duncan goes out, it's very much Obi Wan like, especially yeah. since he gives him that little grin at the end. Yeah. You know. Yeah. yeah. Um. But when I saw um, Oscar Isaac's character, the Duke, uh, in his final moments, the way he was sort of looking at Harkonnen as he was biting into that tooth to let the poison out, yeah, it was almost like he was he was it was to me it spoke to me as an Obi Wan moment, yeah, sort of like you know that I look my bad guy in the eye, who the bad guy clearly thinks I have you dead to rights, but uh, little do they know a little surprise is coming. I, you know what? And the, the scene at the beginning of the movie, Oscar Isaac, um, looks at his son, Paul, uh, Trades in the eye and says, basically, it's when Paul was telling him he, he was having, you know, second thoughts about taking the, you know, the throne or whatever. And, uh, and he looked him in the eyes and basically told him, like, no matter what you decide, you're, all you have to do is one thing, be my son or whatever. I can't remember how he yeah. said it, but Still it was this, son. yeah. And, and it was a very moving movie. I loved it. I thought it was, I thought it was a great line. Well, you're burying the lead because in that scene comes the line, which is basic. Remember when I say every, every film has a theme, yeah. right? He has this great line. I don't know if it's actually, I'd have to go look and see what minute mark it happens. But in that scene, he tells his son um, I, I'm going to butcher the quote, but he says something along the lines of uh, leaders don't choose to lead. Mm. Uh, they are called upon and then they react or yeah. something like that. You know what I mean? He's like um, basically saying that it's out of your hands right now what you think you want or what you think you don't want. Someday a moment's going to come and it will be called upon you to act. And you will lead at that point. And what friggin' A happens at the end of the movie? Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Now, we're going to get there. Let's get there. We're not there yet. So let's <laughs> not. Um, anyway, so um, so we get into that, that midpoint, which, of course, leads to the invasion, right? And um, so it's almost like because they have to escape into the desert now. 
they almost have no choice left, right? Except to, they do end up getting back, um, getting back to the complex where the aforementioned Duncan death happens. Very sad moment. Um, but they, they then have to go back out into the desert again. It's like they're out there twice and they have no where to go really, except to find the Freeman, right? They're the right. only, it's the only chance they have. Um, and then, of course, Act 3 is they finally find them, right? Mm-hmm. There's that moment, that pivotal turning point where they're getting hunted down by the giant sandworm. Yeah. And the thing comes out of the sand and is staring at them. I mean, when does it ever stop to stare at anything it's about to eat, right? The whole movie, we see it just swallowing things from underneath. Not unlike uh, the Sarlacc from Return of the Jedi, right? Right, right, right. So, um, but this thing comes straight up out of the sand. And looks right down at him, like it's a, like it's looking at him. Yeah, like what that was a, that was a great hell? scene, actually. It's an awesome scene, but you almost <laughs> get this sense that it knows. You know what I mean? Mm. Sort of this weird sense that it knows something. And then, of course, Jameis, the character that he has to fight, he says, "Well, it only left him alone because of my thumper, because I set up the thumper and it right. attracted the thumper." But bullshit! That thing was out of the sand and it was looking at him like it could have eaten him if it wanted to. Right, right? now, again, those I always talk. You know, when we did the Star Wars one, I called them the canon nerds. There's probably Dune nerds that have read all the books. <laughs> They're like, no, lift, pushing their glasses up with their finger right now, going, "That's not what happened, Jerome. It was looking at him because of uh, some star speckled, you know, whatever." I don't know. Like they're gonna, you know, they'll have an explanation that I don't have. All I know is that damn sandworm came up and stared him down first, and then decided not to eat him. Right. Right. And then. So that's, to me, the turning point because it leads him to the Freeman. And he finally gets there, and that's where we've been going this whole movie, right? The whole movie, we've been talking about the Freeman. He finally finds them. Right. And that's your third act um, set up with this showdown with Jameis to find out who's going to be uh, part of them or not. You're right. either going to be dead or part of them. Um, so that leads me to your tangible and spiritual goals. What's Paul Atreides' spiritual goal at the beginning of the movie? To me, it seems clear that he just wants to go to Arkanen. Mm-hmm. He wants to see it, and he wants to learn about the Freeman, right? He's learning the way they walk through the sand. Right. All this before he even gets there. Right. All this when he's still on Kaladin. He's learning how to walk through the sand, learn their language, learn their customs, learn their cool suits, all that stuff. But he just wants to go, yeah. right? That's it. He doesn't have any any thoughts about being a supreme leader, living there in the sand forever. You know, he's no farthest from what he wants, right? Well, all the while, he's having these dreams, though, that it's kind of drawing him there. But he doesn't know what they mean. Yeah. Right? He doesn't. He's, he's, uh, if anything, he's uh, just sort of sucked in by the idea, and who wouldn't be, of Zendaya, you know? Yeah. Uh, uh, because when I look at her with those blue eyes, I also want to go to Arrakis, you know? <laughs> now, my ass would die easily in Arrakis. I have, I have zero skills of survival on a desert planet, but I would go for Zendaya, okay? I would go for Zendaya and those blue eyes. But, so he has these, yeah, so he has these visions, but his spiritual goal, what he did not know he needed, was to do exactly what his father told him at the beginning. When you're called upon, you are you will choose to lead. Mm-hmm. And he becomes now they say at the end, oh, you're now one of us. Really? Is he one of them or is he now the leader? Because it seems like even though um uh oh geez, what's his name? Uh 
Javier Bardem. Jesus, God, somebody yeah. hit me in the head with a hammer. <laughs> this Angel's Envy is going down too well. Uh, Javier Bardem uh, is the leader, right? Mm-hmm. And he's the one that says, you're now one of us. But there's this sort of like, as the movie's ending, and Zendaya looks to him and she says, this is only the beginning, you kind of get the sense that he will eventually be the leader of this group, right? Mm-hmm. That he is now taking his father's place, but as the leader of the Freeman, not the leader of mm-hmm. House of Treaties. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So then you pinpoint that with Luke, and Luke's, what is Luke's tangible goal at the beginning of the movie? Well, he just wants to join the Starfleet, right? Like, he just whines. He, he just wants to matter. Yeah, he he whines to Uncle Owen all the time. Right. Well, I want to go to the Academy this year. You know, <laughs> why do I got to wait till next year? You know, like, he's such a little whiny bitch in the first half of Star Wars that it's almost like, it almost kind of makes you laugh sometimes. I was going to go in there and look at some power converters, you know? Like, he was, he's almost kind of whiny. This little <laughs> kid doesn't get what he wants. He's going to stomp his feet, blah, blah, blah. But... So his tangible goal is I just want to do what Biggs did, his best buddy, right, who went off into the academy and became a starfighter, right? That's all he wants. Well, what is his spiritual goal? Shit, his spiritual goal is so big it can't even be finished in A New Hope. It's going to require several more films. Right. But the idea is that he doesn't know what he needs, what his spiritual goal is to be the new hope of the Jedi. Yeah. Right? If you were to tell him on Tatooine, not not only are the Jedi all but extinct, except for my old ass, I'm talking like I'm Obi-Wan, not only are we all extinct except for me and a little green dude that lives on a planet you won't even see for three years, but <laughs> you, 18, 19-year-old farm boy, you are going to be the most important Jedi that ever lived. He would have shit his pants. He would have been like, what? <laughs> I'm not ready for that kind of responsibility. You know what I mean? Like, right, right. But, but that's the beauty of your tangible versus your spiritual goal. You fight. The whole film, you fight against what is calling you mm-hmm. until you get there and you act and you become everything that you didn't even know you wanted to be. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. It's good. So, yeah. Beautiful. So, in the end... Uh, I very much enjoyed Dune, yeah. uh, and, and not just because of this, you know, Star Wars sort of inspiration. Uh, I I liked it as a story in and of itself. I cannot wait to see the second film. Same, I, um, you know, I th- I thought it was really super cool. I thought the characters were played out very nicely. Um, the real bummer, if there is one, is that all the characters I liked died. so i really want to see where it goes in the second film to see who else they're going to give me that i'm going to like now again there's dune book nerds that are listening right now going oh my god in the second movie uh sir franklin hobblebotch comes about and he's my favorite character you know what i mean like whatever so like they're gonna can i give you a spoiler about the second movie no you know it's just about someone who's going to be in it okay christopher walken shut up (laughs) he's on the list that's that's like (laughs) That's like when the Super Bowl champs just signed the top guy on the next free agency. Like, like that's not even fair. Well, here's the thing, though. So I watched it again today uh, with with Josh, my son, and his wife, Elise, my daughter-in-law. And something that they, they commented on, um, they felt like there was way too many A-list actors in this story. They were distracted by all these people that they knew from other movies. And I'm like, that's interesting because Star Wars didn't do that in the beginning. And, you know, I mean. Mar- well, Lucas couldn't afford it. Well, true. <laughs> he had no budget. <laughs> true. That's, that's the beauty of filmmaking right there. Yeah. But, um, and they, you know, I get what they were saying. You know, there were some, you know, you, you look at that, uh, 
that one that one dude, the bad guy, his name's Dave. Uh, what is it? Bustista. Dave Batista, yeah, Batista, plays, Batista. plays plays yeah. the Harkonnen, the big yeah. Harkonnen. He's badass. awesome. He's awesome. Yeah. But I kept thinking of Guardians of the Galaxy every time I saw yeah. him. You know, well, of course, of course, <laughs> of course. But but to to I'm I'm going to counter that argument. Look at how many stars are in the Phantom Menace. Right when yeah. Lucas had the money, yeah, he yeah. started pulling people from all over the place. Yeah. Right, so I think it. Oh, that when you when you say it like that, it really comes down to budget. Right? Yeah, that's, <laughs> like, that's true. Like if you don't have the money to hire big names, you have enough money. Like you can almost hear Lucas now. Like how much money do we have on casting? Uh, we have this amount. Well, that's going to get me Alec Guinness. That's about it. Yeah. So let's go hire a bunch of no namers. Who Harrison Ford was virtually a no namer at the time. Right. Um, you know, but when you do the Phantom Menace, you're like, well, let's get Jimmy Smiths to play this guy. Let's get Natalie Portman. Let's get Ewan McGregor. Let's get Liam Neeson. You know, yeah. let's get all, you know, you, you, you can now flood your film with whoever the hell you want. And I got to say, I got to say, I mean, the actors that they got, I mean, God, Oscar Isaac, Josh Brolin. I mean, it was a great cast. I love the yeah. cast of this movie. It was yep. it was fantastic. Zendaya, did I mention yeah, her already? I feel have. like I haven't. I feel like I haven't mentioned her. You're, yet. you're entering. So, hold on, you're entering creepy old man status so, with her. So, Zen, so, so Zendaya's in this movie too. If anyone didn't know, um, she plays this Freeman like uh, little desert girl, yeah. and she's got blue eyes. If I haven't mentioned that yet either. And for the, um, and those of you who don't know who she is, uh, MJ from the new Spider Man. Oh, right, 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 MJ. I was thinking you were going to go with, uh, um, oh, what was it? Isn't she on some, like, HBO show, like Euphoria or something? I don't know. I probably, I have no idea. I, I heard it's really good. I haven't seen it. So I, I can't be full-on creep mode if I haven't seen everything she's in. I don't know. You're there, I think. <laughs> I'm pretty close, huh? All right. Yeah. I got a thing for desert slave girls, I guess. Oh, no. Um, <laughs> oh, God. We might have to edit that part out. Um no, uh, no. All jokes aside, um, Hang and on, that's don't, the fu- uh, hold on, really quick. Turn down your mic or back away from the microphone, because uh, it's going red every time you. <laughs> Hopefully, every it's time not I too- mention, <laughs> every time I mention Zendaya, it's going in the red. Yes. I know how it, I know how it feels. <laughs> God, <laughs> that's nasty. Anyway, um. No, like uh, all, all jokes aside, like the whole point is, is that uh, Paul Atreides is having these images, right? These, these, you know, don't blame me. Blame the director. He's the one that's shooting her with these close-ups, right? There's one shot where he does a close-up of her ear. Yeah. Like if you want to talk about creepy old man, that's yeah. the director. Um, but anyway. Oh, and, um, well, the- it, since you're mentioning it, though, I mean, obviously, yes, she's beautiful. The close-ups. I mean, every image of her is just gorgeous. But. The cinematography alone, though, it was a yes. beautiful movie. I mean, this this film was shot beautifully. It was what it was I, awesome. What I want to know is if a lot of the sun flares were CGI or not, because they were so perfectly placed. Yeah. There were times in those images, those dreams he's having, right? Those when Paul Atreides is having these visions. Uh, he would focus on an image, but then it would get blurred out by a sun flare. And you're like, oh, God, that is so perfect. Yeah, yeah. It it, it made the mystique of... um, What's her name? Uh, uh, What's her name? What's her name in the the film? Uh, China or something? Yeah, Um, Chana, China. I'm not sure how you pronounce it. Chana, Chana, Chana? Something like that. Chani? Chani, Chani, Chani. That's what it is. 
it adds to the mystique of her yeah. because he never can really get a full shot of her in his visions, right? Right, right, right. They're right. much like a dream would be, Yeah. right? When you're dreaming about somebody, do you ever clearly see their face? It's always, like, obscured somehow. Right. And and they shoot that so beautifully, and the cinematography is amazing. And, again, I would like to know, and now I will forever be damaged by watching um, – uh, light and Magic, mm-hmm. the documentary on Industrial Light and Magic, that last episode where they told us about the volume, this yeah. thing that they built, that now everything could be shot inside of it. You never have to go on location again. Right. Cinematographers, <laughs> for around the world, cinematographers are feeling what Phil Tippett felt when Jurassic Park was being made. I'm becoming extinct. Oh, mm-hmm. by the way, I got, I got a little <laughs> line on that too, by the way. Um, I know how we like to go off tangents and bring shit up again. <laughs> sure. Um, so real quick, let me just throw that one in there before I forget it. Uh, you know the line that Jeff Goldblum says in Jurassic Park, right? Where yeah. he's uh, um, uh, Sam Sam uh, oh, uh, uh, Jesus, what's his name? Sam O'Neill says uh, Sam Neill, not O'Neill. Sam Neill says, uh, "I." They're like, "How do you feel?" And he's like, "I feel like we're out of a job, you know, because the the dinosaurs are back." And he's a guy that digs up dinosaur fossils. So he's like, I feel like I'm out of a job. And uh, Jeff Goldblum runs up the stairs behind him and he says, don't you think, don't you, don't you mean extinct? Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah as a exactly, joke. Yeah. You know why that line is in the movie? He, you they, know why they put that in? Yeah, they said it in Industrial Light. Because of that. Light. Yeah, they said that in Industrial Light and Magic. Because of Phil Tippett. Yeah. Because of Phil Tippett. Yeah. Because George Lucas pulled Phil Tippett aside <laughs> and said, I know this is all, you know, a lot. You know, or not, not, well, for, not Lucas. Hold on. It was explain explain it was... what Phil Tippett did. Okay. So, so, uh, God, we're going back to the it, last two episodes. It's, it's important, though, to tell the story. Okay. Because so, Phil this Tippett, guy. For those of you that don't know, Phil Tippett did a lot of the, the, um, stop motion animation for pretty much every movie that you've ever seen, yeah. right? Like, he, he did the ad ads in, uh, the Imperial Walkers in Empire Strikes Back. Yep. Uh, the, the Rancor in Return of the Jedi. He's, he's all about stop motion, right? Right. And, and that's his thing. He got it so detailed that he made a, a still object look like it's moving just by changing it a fraction of a movement and then shooting another frame. Like he just, like that was, uh, he was genius. He was a genius at that. Yeah. But when they came time to Jurassic Park and he had all these ideas on how we were going to do the same thing with dinosaurs. They didn't have ideas. They filmed it. Yeah, they, they built the made dinosaurs. the dinosaurs and filmed them. They were in production. Yeah, him and making, Sam Winston making Stan Jurassic Winston. Park. Right, St- right. Stan Winston helped him create these dinosaurs, <laughs> and then they shot all this stop motion stuff. Yep. And then these these guys come along with their fucking computers, and they're like, <laughs> "Ah, shit, we can do this shit digitally." And they do all this on the screen, and they're like, "God damn it! Everything we've worked for our whole lives is now down the toilet." And I think at one point Spielberg. It was Spielberg, not Lucas. It was Spielberg that pulled Phil Tippett aside. Yeah. And he said, "How? what are you thinking right now? Like, how are you feeling? And he said, I feel like I'm extinct. Yep. And you know what Spielberg said to him? I'm going to put that in the movie. <laughs> That's a great line for a movie. What an asshole, right? Like, <laughs> what he really wants is a hug. And instead, Spielberg's like, I'm going to fucking use that. That's a great line. So that's why that line is in Jurassic yeah. Park. But they they kept, for any of you right now that are hearing this for the first time and you're like, what a bummer. Mm-hmm. They kept Phil Tippett on as a supervisor of special effects. And he was able to walk home with an Oscar on Jurassic Park. Absolutely. Uh, on Oscar night. So well-deserved Oscar for Phil Tippett. Well-deserved <laughs> for his entire career. Great little subplot. That I just want to tell that side. Now, I, anyway. am, I am curious. And I'll back to what how we started this. Um, 
with with the the industrial light and magic created the volume so that right. they can record or so they can right. so they can film inside a studio and it looks like they're on location. Right. It's so ama- cinema- it's freaking amazing. So but- that's what I mean by cinematographers worldwide probably saw that and said my job is now extinct. Yeah, but now my question, I'm curious. I'd love to see a documentary about how they made this movie, uh, Dune. Um because it said, I read that they did film on location in like Jordan, I think, and in Saudi Arabia. Okay. I can't remember. Um, but they filmed on location. So I'm curious how much or if they, if they use the, the volume at all. I don't, I'm just curious. I have no idea. So if, if someone listening knows, please, um, message us, let us know and send us a link or something so I can, uh, investigate that a little more. Okay. Yeah. I, uh, yeah, I would be curious to know. Now I'm under the impression right now that industrial light and magic is not, well, which means that's owned by Lucasfilm, which is owned by Disney. Important thing to note, because I'm not sure how willing Disney is to loan this volume out to other studios. But I think other studios are making that too, because when we went to, um, my wife and I went, uh, to, was it Universal Studios? And they had the the Born experience. I can't remember what it was called, um, but it was a Jason Born thing. And you sit in a theater, and they basically sit you inside a volume. The volume, you know, it's, it looks exact. This this rounded screen is in front of you, and they have actors on stage, but you can't tell which ones are on this in the screen or which ones are real sometimes because they both look so freaking real and and. The whole thing moved just like it did in uh, the documentary about the volume. So I don't know. I don't know if other studios already have this. Te- I'm sure they do. I mean, well, I would think either way, they're going to get a, a patent on it, right? To anybody else that builds one, has going to have to pay. Yeah, I'm Lucas sure Fi- Lucasfilm and by by you know yeah uh, connection Disney. But what I'm excited about is I want to see them build a volume at Disneyland. Yeah, so that you could go in. And sit in a Millennium Falcon chair. Yeah. Hell yeah. And go through hyperspace. Like, that. I almost got a heart on right now. You're talking about. Like, I want, I, that's what I want to do. Now that I know the volume exists, I want to, I want to be in it. I want to live in it. I want to go, I want to go there and I want to be in it. I want to be in the volume. John Favreau, if you ever listen to this, I want to be in your volume. I want to be deep inside your volume. I want, because you know he's one of the guys. He was you know shooting the Mandalorian. He's the yeah. one that you know. So you know, that wasn't all meant to be like total sexual vibe. I, I meant literally, John Favreau, take me to your volume, and I want to be in it. I want to live in it. But John, he is aroused. I'm, I'm very, very, very aroused. But what I want, I want to see them put one at Disneyland, right? They already have a great Star Wars, uh, you know the the. Sorry, that was a burp that snuck out. Uh, there, have, they already have. My brother's choking on his beer, by the way. For, the, very for those of you that don't beer. know, very thick beer. Um, <clears throat> but anyway, at Disneyland, they already have the Star Wars exhibit, right? Now, I want them to put the volume at Disneyland, yeah. and then when you go, and you could go like sit in like a Tie Fighter or something, and friggin' fight the Death Star. Wouldn't that be awesome? They could do any of that now. Yeah, absolutely. And it would look, it would look like you were there. People would be vomiting. They'll be vomiting because they'll, they'll feel, they'll feel like they're in there. I want to throw up in the volume. That's what I want to do. 
That's what I want in life. I want to throw up in the volume. That's that's uh, that's my spiritual goal. Well, we're definitely we're definitely bringing this in for landing on a strong note. But anyway, uh, yeah, so uh, very much love Dune. Of course, you know my love for Star Wars. I thought, obviously, there's very, very big similarities between the two. You could talk to the death, and if you go on YouTube and just type in in the search box Dune and Star Wars, you're going to get a thousand videos comparing the two. It's no secret. George Lucas was inspired by Dune, and because of it, there's a lot of similarities. For those of you writers out there, remember, in the end, we do this show for three reasons. And I'm going to put them in percentages. 60% of the reason we do this show is so we can drink and talk movies. <laughs> the remaining 40% is to drink and talk movies. <laughs> I'm sorry, 39%. Yeah. The last 1% is for those of you writers out there who are like me, who love to look at like little intricacies of, of script structure. And when you watch a movie, you can look at it and say, you know what? That's the midpoint scene. I don't mm. even have to look at my watch. I can tell. I don't even have to know how long the movie is. I can tell because of how the shift has happened in the movie to right. where we're now focused on a completely different act of things. Remember the midpoint scene in Star Wars? You know what the midpoint scene in Star Wars is? They come out of hyperspace and land in Alderaan. Mm. Of course, Alderaan's not there, is it? Right. It's just a bunch of marbles floating <laughs> around in the space now. But it was there, <laughs> you know? But that's the midpoint scene in Star Wars, where Luke, Han, Chewie, the droids, and Obi-Wan are now face-to-face -face with, that's no moon. Yeah. That's a space station. Right. That's the midpoint scene in Star Wars. And tell me if you don't, as an audience member, watch that movie and think, at this point, all bets are off. Yep. The whole movie is now shifted. Yeah. We're now in a different realm. And when writers can get to that point where your midpoint scene of your film changes the direction of everything, well, now you got something, kid. Right. You know, like that's that's the beauty of it. And that's the 1% of why we do this show. And movies yeah. that fail to do that, you t I mean, usually so movies that fail to to in the first 5 minutes set up the uh, dilemma, right? The question yes, that the has theme. to be answered. I tune out. There was a movie, I can't even remember what it was. It was like a J-Lo movie, and it was a romantic comedy. Well, well, well stop right no, there. No, hold, I mean. <laughs> hold on a minute. For real. It, my wife put it, it was, we were, we were out. Anyways, it's a long story, but we, we put this movie on, and I'm like, we've seen some romantic comedies with J-Lo that were good, and we're like, okay. And like, it, it just confused, we didn't understand. She's already in love. She's already successful, and you know it's like they didn't have a dilemma. And then I we turned it off in five minutes. We like we there's nothing to watch here. <laughs> they so if you fail to do that in the first five minutes of the movie, if you fail to do that in the midpoint of the movie where it changes direction, you're gonna lose the audience. Have you ever so. heard anyone tell you whenever they saw a movie and they said it was boring? Yeah. Right, right, all the time, right? Yeah. And the reason is, well, we have to look, no, uh, I don't want to insult anyone, but we don't have to look any further than Best Picture of, not this past year, CODA, but the year before. Oh, uh, yeah. With no, Nomadland. Nomadland, where yeah. Where everyone was like, oh, it's so beautifully shot, beautifully acted, but it was 
boring. There's a reason for that. If you ever talk to anybody and they're like, yeah, it was an okay movie. It just seemed very boring. It's because they don't have these points. Right, right. Where you change direction of character. Where you're like, holy shit, we're on to a new journey now. You know? Like, even people are like, well, it's hard to do that when you're like Nomadland, where you're just kind of like showing a film about a person's life. Right. Bullshit. You still can. Some of the great biographies that you've ever seen still follow a three-act structure. Yeah. You know? Uh, Scorsese did The Aviator with Leonardo DiCaprio about Howard Hughes. The movie's like three hours long and it follows every point. Yeah. It makes it interesting every second. Yeah. I was thinking you know? Walk the Line. Walk the Line did it great. Right. Yeah. Exactly. It was perfect. There, there's a way to... Shit, the script that I adapted about the guy who wrote the book is I adapted a screenplay from a book uh, or I guess I should say I adapted the book into a screenplay um, about the guy whose who's mother uh, escaped from communist Czechoslovakia during World War II. Mm. Now, the book is 40 chapters long, yeah. and the first 15 chapters are about her upbringing, and the last 15 chapters, well, the last 20 chapters are about after she got to America. He asked me to adapt this. Mm. I wrote him back and said, I'm only going to do the middle 10 chapters or so. The chapters of her leaving Czechoslovakia. Well, that's, yeah, that's the that's, story. That's your story. I could give a shit where she came from, yeah. and I could give a shit how she ended. No offense. This was his mother after all. <laughs> but, yeah. but I said, you know, so I wrote this script. It's actually registered in the Writers Guild, a movie I would hope to make someday. Right. It's about this woman's journey getting out of communist Czechoslovakia at the end of the war. Yeah. That's that. You know what I mean? So there's a you can make a movie interesting. And what's interesting about that? Wait, wait, wait. wait. Pause. 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 <laughs> Sorry, I had to. I had to let the, the the listeners need to know that the angel's envy is gone, and I, I now I'm now into follow up mode. Our apologies if you're wearing AirPods and your eardrums just got blown out. Sorry, that was about a that. beer can. That was a beer can. <laughs> See, the lesson here, kids, is that we don't stop when the liquor is gone. We keep going. But anyway, go ahead. I don't remember what I was going to say. <laughs> <laughs> this second beer hit me hard. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so we should probably land this plane, and we discussed uh, six degrees. You want to jump into that yet, or or do you got oh more, you got God, more to totally say? I totally forgot about that. I forgot about that. Come on. Oh uh, shit. Uh, are, you, are you prepared to tackle it? Um. Well, do I have a choice? I don't really well, have a choice. You don't do really I? have a choice. All right, so hit me. So hit basically, me. I went with the the lead actors of uh, Paul Atreides and Luke Skywalker, and I asked you to connect them within six degrees without using Dune or the original Star Wars. I actually didn't want you to use any Star Wars, but you asked if you could, and I was like, well, if you must. Well, you know. no, when you responded, <laughs> if you must, that's like that's like my current boss telling me no. You know, that's like that's like something like, hey, can I do this? And they give you that disapproving look and you're like, well, if you have to, you know, like then you kind of feel like ashamed. Right. So it worked. So it, it worked. It worked. It worked. Um, but this was difficult. This was, was very difficult. Absolutely. Um, I, I remember mean, writing. I, I don't. Right even, before, I couldn't even tell you what else Mark Hamill was in. Well, besides, remember, besides a whole bunch of animation voices, you know. So as we're logging in, I'm trying to get the the thing to log on and connect to the clean feed. 
to do the recording, I'm playing it in my head and I'm getting dead end after dead end. I'm like, I don't even know where this is going to go. Cause yeah, Mark Hamill was not in a lot of shit. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, I don't know. Even after star Wars, he did some movies that people cast him in before they realized he couldn't really act. They were putting him in movies. <laughs> and I say that lovingly. I love Mark Hamill to death, but he's a great voice actor. Right? Yeah. He's oh, a great, abs- he's a, absolutely. He's a great voice actor. And I said, I wouldn't use any TV shows. Um, but I'm gonna, I am gonna use because I'm sure you would give me full allowance to use James Earl Jones in Star Wars if I had to, if we weren't doing Star Wars movies, right? If I was to do a six degrees and I mentioned James Earl Jones doing the voice of Darth Vader, you would allow that, right? Right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, sure. Okay. So I'm gonna go on that. And by the way, for those of you who can't see, I'm wearing a Joker T-shirt <laughs> in honor of Mark Hamill's great voice as the Joker in all those yeah. television shows. But I will not use those television shows because I don't use TV shows. Um, but um, Mark Hamill, I, I will say, was in, um, I think it was 2017, they redid Child's Play, hmm. right? They did a remake of Child's Play. He did the voice of Chucky, oh. which... which to me, it's a little bit of an abomination. As much as I love Mark Hamill, Brad right. Dourif, who always did the voice of Chucky in the first in, in all of the original Chucky movies, who was in One Flew of the Cuckoo's Nest, you know Brad Dourif. He's been around forever. He was yeah. in um, Mississippi Burning. He plays a great bad guy. He's always a great bad guy in everything he's in. Um, and he always did the original voice of Chucky. But in the remake, I think it was 2017, Mark Hamill did the voice of Chucky. So Mark Hamill was in Child's Play the remake, with Tim Matheson. You remember Tim Matheson? What was he in? He was in Animal House. He was in um, uh, Fletch. You know, you would know his face if you saw him. Uh, uh, Look him up right now on IMDb. Are you going to follow me along on IMDb like you always do to check my work? Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm trying. I'm trying. While he's doing that, listeners, let me tell you something about my brother. This guy never trusts me at all. He, he, he always he always has to check my work. All right, he's he's like a he's like a he's like a damn substitute teacher who's just gonna like not believe that I, I am what I say I am. But anyway, all right. He's, Child's he's play. Uh, I, I'm not seeing it. Two thousand. I'm seeing like some shorts called Child's Play. The Cult of Chucky came out in 2017. No. Is that what it was? Is that what the remake was called? What's the one that has Cult- Tim Matheson in it? Uh, I think it was just called Child's Play. It, All right. It's not We're saying, wasting dead no, time. No, it's saying uh, Chucky was played by Brad Dourif. Dourif, right. No, you're on the wrong Chucky. You're on the wrong one. Well, I can't. So who who else was in it? All right, so Tim Matheson from, uh, he played the lead. He was in, uh, anim- he was from Animal House. You know Tim Matheson, Fletch. You know, the face that you would never forget. Oh, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. So he's the lead in that in that Child's Play remake, right? So Tim Matheson was also in a, a National Lampoon's Van Wilder movie with Ryan Reynolds. We all know Ryan Reynolds, right? You don't have to Google him. You know who he is. He yeah. was in Smoking Aces with Chris Pine. Oh, my God. Yeah, we're deep. You had we're, to go deep. We're, we're, oh, dude, you saddlebagged me on this one big time. And, and I'm so proud right now. Uh, well, you should be. Um, wait a minute. Wait a minute. He's checking his notes. 
I am checking my nose. I think I got something wrong here. No. Uh oh. We may have stumped uh, Jerome. No, 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 no. It all led to Florence Pugh because you know, in my life, everything leads through Lawrence Florence Pugh. Uh, if you thought I had a dirty old man thing with Zendaya, don't even get me started on Florence Pugh. I'm in love with Florence Pugh. Um, what was the movie she was in? Oh, shit. Uh, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. Oh, Don't Worry Baby, the one she just came out with. The one she just came out with has Chris Pine in it. Chris Pine and Harry Styles, right? So Chris Pine was in Smoking Aces. That's what connected him to Ryan Reynolds. But anyway, he's in Don't Worry Baby with Florence Pugh, who's in Little Women with Timothy Chalamet. So Timothy Chalamet, of course, is... So that's what? One, two, three, four, five. So that's five. I need in, you to check your, your references, though. Okay. Uh, Tim uh, Matheson. Matheson. I yeah. don't see him in a movie in 2017 in in a Chucky movie. What? I don't. Wait a second. I know that... Uh, uh, the nerds listening know I'm right because they're right about everything. We're going to just go with the audio here. Okay, hang on. Uh, Tim Matheson. Tim Matheson. Let's see here. We'll do it. We'll do it. We got it here. We got it here. Child's Play, 2019, not 17. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Okay, sorry. Sorry. 2019, he played Henry Castlin in the 2019 Child's okay. Play reboot All and right. Matt Mark Hamill was the voice of Chucky in that movie, so suck it. <laughs> you had the year wrong. Anyway, <laughs> I did have the year wrong. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. sorry. Is that that still, angel's it's, envy. It's still legit, though. So, Child's Play, Van Wilder, Smoking Aces, Don't Worry Baby, and Little Women. That's five degrees. I'm embarrassed. It probably can be done less than that. I'm shocked. I'm humiliated. I'm probably going to continue drinking to drown my sorrows in this. But the point is... I've done my job. <laughs> the point is... Wait, I don't see Mark Hamill. Oh, there he is. He's the last one on the cast. You really say... See? I was oh, still looking. I didn't see Mark Hamill. Listeners, listeners, are you getting this? You hear my brother? He's challenging me. He thinks I'm a liar is hey, what it is. This is the closest I ever got to stumping you, so... <laughs> no, it's not. Yeah, it is. No, it's not. I don't know, man. Uh, no, the the Charlie Chaplin to Carrot Top was the closest you ever came. Well, you just didn't realize at the time it was so easy. <laughs> <laughs> but this one was actually hard because Mark Hamill has not done a lot of stuff outside Star Wars. Yeah, now, and I tried to ha you know tie you up with not well, letting you use Star Wars. But. When I asked you, can I use any Star Wars movie other than A New Hope, what I was going for was those movies, the later movies, the sequel trilogy, which, you know, canon nerds would call an abomination themselves. Uh, the sequel trilogy had Laura Dern in it. And Laura Dern was in... Uh, what was it? She was in, like... I think she was in Lady Bird? Hey, I can do it. I can do it shorter. Oh, we couldn't use Dune. Never mind. I said yeah, you couldn't you use Dune. Because Oscar, Oscar Isaac and... <laughs> well, obviously. Yeah. You prick. That's why that... Yeah, obviously. If you can use the Star Wars universe, you can connect. They're probably in the same movie if you dig deep enough. Anyway. Yeah, no, that's good, man. <laughs> you did you, you you did me proud. <laughs> God, five connections, I'm embarrassed. But you know what? Like I said, Mark Hamill's a tough one. He yeah. really is a tough one because he's done a lot of television work. We don't use TV now. Again, those Kevin Bacon guys. 
They use TV. They use anything. So they could probably connect Mark Hamill to Timothy Chalamet in like two connections with all of Mark Hamill's voiceover work in those animated television series. He's done a lot. Yeah. Most notably as the Joker. So he has done a lot. My hat's yeah. off to Mark Hamill. You know, when, when people, you know, you do it your whole life. You work for something. Mark Hamill will always be known as, as Luke Skywalker in Star Wars, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But really, that's a handful of movies. He's made a career. If you go up on IMDb and you type in Mark Hamill, there's like 300 credits. Like, he has been working his whole life. Yeah. Like, okay, so he didn't become Harrison Ford. So he didn't become Carrie Fisher. So he didn't become, I don't know, Javier Bardem. Fine. You know, that dude's got a great career, a right. fantastic career, and he found his niche in voiceover. Yep. And and he's got a great voice, and he's been, uh, you know, when people put on these online posts about who's the greatest Joker of all time, of course, my vote always goes to Heath Ledger. People talk about Jack Nicholson and Heath Ledger, and there's even some votes for Jared Leto or, you know, uh, Joaquin Phoenix or whatever. There's always votes for Mark Hamill. People always say, I'm going to go with Mark Hamill. He gets a lot of votes for greatest Joker of all time because he, he really, he really nailed that voiceover in the animated series. Yeah. Um, so that was a tough one because he's not really on screen a lot outside of Star Wars. So if I can't use Star Wars, it's a lot. The funny thing is, Timothy Chalamet had a hell of a lot more options. Because even in the, he's only been in a handful of movies himself, but he has worked with some big name people. He's worked with Army Hammer, Florence Pugh, Sasha Ronan, Emma Watson, Laura Dern, Bob Odenkirk, Chris Cooper. Wow. I mean, the, the list goes on. This guy has already been around yeah. a lot. And all those names, I didn't even mention the names that were in Dune. Oscar Isaac, you know, like you said, um... Everybody, uh, it's just on down, like the, the uh, Dave Batista. It's it's just it, Josh Brolin. I mean, uh, Zendaya. How many people are in Dune? I mean, like you said, uh, Stellan Skarsgård. Like, there's right. just so many people that are in this movie. Timothy Chalamet already can say, if he goes to any Hollywood party and has a few glasses of wine with somebody and they say, hey, who you been with? Yeah, <laughs> he right. Can, he can already be like, shit, my list of people I've been with is probably better than the list of people you've been with. And I've only been in Hollywood for about, I don't know. Ten minutes. Ten years, maybe less. <laughs> yeah. Five years, maybe less. Like, and he's already worked with the greatest people. And in fact... It was, um, I fucking love this. So, you know, I love Heat, right? The yeah. Al Pacino movie with Robert De Niro and Val Kilmer. They're talking about doing either a reboot or a prequel. And they're talking about what if we did a prequel about when these guys were younger and just becoming Hannah, mm. Hannah Hannah's side, uh, Vincent Hannah, who was uh, Pacino's character, just becoming a cop. Right. And De Niro's character just becoming a criminal and blah, 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 blah. Al Pacino was asked about this in an interview. They said, what do you think about them doing a prequel of Heat? And you know what he said? Hmm. He said, I hope they get Timothy Chalamet to play me. No way. Like, yeah, like he thought oh. Timothy Chalamet would be the perfect Vincent Hanna. Wow. Like, I mean, what can you get any more high praise than that, that Al Pacino wants you to play the character he played as a younger guy? Right. <laughs> like, I mean. Uh, That's so, awesome. Yeah. 
I'm very excited about the next Dune. Yeah. And I'm, you know, I don't yeah. know. I, I, I love these, I I, love these I, shows. I fully expected that we were going to spend most of our time talking about the new uh, the new Dune. Um, did we even mention the name of this podcast? Star Wars, A New Dune? Um I don't even know if he mentioned it at the beginning. I think it's a great name. Well, I figured uh, you would. Do, I, w- I figured you would record your intro yeah, later. I'm going to do that later. But just in closing, um, they have so many similarities. I I don't think it's an insult to to title this Star Wars: A New Dune. Um, Dune came first, which is funny. So you could say Star Wars was a new Dune, um, and as we said, it was geared towards a younger audience. Um, but uh, in its own right, I, I I think this new this new franchise is going to be huge. So yeah, I'm, I'm, excited I'm excited about it. And I'm um, I just read this today, and we can put this in at the end here. Um, I read that I think it's HBO Max is working on a prequel to the the movies, the Dune movies. Really? Yeah, and there's there's a ton of books that support all of that. So yeah, it should be interesting to see what they come up with. Well, you know what's funny too is that the director uh, Denis uh, Vill- again I'm going to screw up his last name Vill- Villeneuve mm-hmm. uh, he 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 was interviewed and he, they were talking about all the similarities between Star Wars and Dune and since Star Wars since it's come out has been such an influence on American culture. And uh, Disney Plus, you know, when Disney bought it, and they have new shows and yeah. new every, everything. How are you going to compete? And he laughed, and he's like, "Here's the funny part. I have to figure out how to make a Dune that's honest to the book, but at the same time appease Star Wars fans <laughs> because Star Wars has become such an influence. So I can't look like I'm copying Star Wars. Right. Like how how ironic is that? Yeah, right. No kidding, right? I don't want to look like I'm imitating Star Wars when in reality Star Wars was inspired by us. Yeah, I have to make a movie that's going to appease both. So hats off to him because I think he did it. Yeah, I I, I agree. I think it was great. I think it was a masterpiece. So. Anyway, we'll see how the how the next one um, holds up uh, next year when it comes out. So let's uh, let's let's land this plane. All right, uh, we're gonna land it. We don't know what our next one is gonna be. We will let you know. Um, but I'm looking forward to it, and we're gonna try to again. We're gonna try to rattle these off so we can get them edited and put out for your listening uh, pleasure <laughs> as soon as possible. Um, I don't know. I, I, I liked this one. I, but but can we say can we say this closes the book on Star Wars? We've done well, nothing but I'll talk never, about I'll never probably close the book on Star Wars, but <laughs> we've but, been talking about Star Wars all year. Yeah, it, <laughs> hey, it's the forty fifth anniversary. That's true. It deserves so, it. It deserves so it. So in five more years we'll do it all over again. <laughs> there you go. Fiftieth anniversary. So, all right. So let me just ask the listeners, if you could, please send us a message. Um, gosh, I forgot. I'll have to fill, I'll, I'll fill this in at the end when I, when I edit the closing, um, follow us on, uh, Instagram. You can send us a, a voice memo on Instagram and we'll try to see if we can get you on the podcast and, uh, let us know what movies you'd like us to discuss. Uh, maybe a six degrees problem you'd like Jerome to work out. And and by the way, let me just tell you, this was a tough one. This was hard. Remember, it's not a stump Jerome game. 
Well, I guess kind of it is. But the point is, it's not, don't, uh, yeah, whatever. Go go listen to the previous podcast and you'll hear my thoughts about the rules of this game. Yeah, it's fun. The, the, the thought experiment is fun to think that any two actors that have been on the, sc- the big screen can be connected within six degrees. It's pretty fascinating. So Now, I will say, I'm going to give a shout-out here. Is this where we do shout-outs yeah, before sure. we close it? Okay, so I'm going to do one shout-out. I have a neighbor named Eric who is big in the media, works for Facebook. Uh, I might be able to finagle him to give me to use his studio for some recordings, since my recording is usually bad in this closet that I do it in. <laughs> But uh, we'll work on that. But anyway, either way, even without his help, just to do a shout out for Eric, who's always big into movies. He loves listening to our podcast. We do these what we call movie nights where we'll stay up till 5 a.m. and watch. <laughs> He's got this thing. He's got like a drive that has like a thousand movies on it. Uh... And we just scroll through and pick movies and watch. And then we, you know, we'll do a late night uh uh, uh, what is it? Uh, Uber Eats for like Jack in the Box or something. That's what it is. He's 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 making me the worst person of of myself. He's he's making me into the worst version of myself, but I love it. So I love the guy, Eric. That's a shout out for you. Thank you, buddy. And uh, all right, your turn. It's been so long since our last podcast. I know people have reached out, and I'm not prepared, so I'm sorry. I will say uh, a movie, just a movie recommendation. If you're into war movies. Um, All Quiet on the Western Front just came out last Friday. The remake. The yes, remake. the remake of the remake. So, because the first one came out in the 30s, I think, and then, um, well, and then the other one came out in the 70s. I can't remember. Um, but it's we, kind of like it's kind of like the war version of A Star Is Born. They remake it every 50 years. Or yeah. So. so this one, um, we watched it at my son-in-law's house at Ben's house, and. He's got this 4K TV, and it was so it was the most beautiful, horrific film I've ever seen. I mean, it was it was beautiful, and it's it's in German. Um, you can watch it in English if you want. You can put it on English. My boys really wanted to watch uh, watch it in the original German with the subtitles, so we did that. Um, and it's easy to follow. I mean, sometimes you miss a, a line or two because you're so in, in like, captured by the visual. Um, visual, you know, aspect of the film, but it, it was it was a fantastic film. I hope it gets some Oscars. Um, you know, uh, speaking of that, one of the best versions of that, uh, a guy who just passed away recently this past year, Wolfgang Peterson. Remember, we 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 did on our uh, on our Instagram page, we did a shout out for mm-hmm. Wolfgang Peterson, who did a perfect storm. He also did the original. He did Das Boot, the German film, which translates to the boat. And if you mm-hmm. watch it in its German uh, uh, dialect without mm-hmm. any subtitles, yeah. same thing happens. You know exactly what's going oh, on without yeah. even speaking the language. The, yeah. the, I mean, and again, this is a sign of great directing. I implore any of you to rent or download or stream or whatever you can the movie Rope mm. by Alfred Hitchcock and turn the volume down. Mm. Just Don't watch, watch it. it with any volume. Just watch the movie 
Rope by mm. Alfred Hitchcock with no volume, you will know exactly what's going on in this film. That's how great the direction is. It's sadistic. It's crazy. It's like you're watching it and you're like, oh my God. Like, that's what a director is, folks. So if you ever want to be a director, watch Alfred Hitchcock because he'll teach you from the grave. Mm, that's good. Good recommendation. All, All right, right. We're going to wrap it up. Yep. Until next time, I'm Chris Wiegand. I'm Jerome Wiegand. Goodbye. That was so anticlimactic. We need John Williams at a time like this. Where is John Williams when we need him? We need to play out like at least give me some Danny Elfman, maybe the Beetlejuice soundtrack, like you know, like something like you know, like something to lead us out, man. All right, I'll work on that. (laughs) All right, later, man. Later. Well, that does it for this episode of the Silver Screen Happy Hour. Thanks for listening. Stay tuned. On our next episode, we're going to be discussing a new movie with Mel Gibson called On the Line. just came out in November 22. And we're going to pair that up with Oliver Stone's 1988 movie, Talk Radio. really think you're going to enjoy this show. Again, we love to hear from our listeners, so you can reach out to us uh, via email silverscreenhappyhour at gmail.com you can also hit us up on Facebook or Instagram if you reach out on Instagram and leave us a voice memo we'll see if you can get your voice on our next episode well until next time I'm Chris Wiegand cheers